Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Let me give a big shout out to the individuals, the young leaders. I had the great opportunity of speaking with this morning. They are currently in a juvenile facility. I was in a juvenile facility myself. They are some remarkable young people, very proud of your recent accomplishment. Had a great time with you all this morning. Breaking down news of the day, we have None other than Ben Carollo, host of Galaxy Brain, and she streams on Twitch as Bleep Blop Ben, writer, TYT contributor. Should be a great and fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day, Herschel Dam Walker is still literally trying to convince people that his police badge made by Fisher Price is actually a police badge. The police are telling him, it is not a badge, sir. The person who would have been in charge of that program out of Cobb County, they have already released a statement saying, no, that does not make you a police officer. There's more. Let's go ahead and go to the reminder of how this started. Here it is. I've never pretended to be a police officer. <laughs> and 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 I've never I've never threatened a shootout. With the police, well, and now I have to respond to that. We are, we are, we are no, moving no, no, on, no, I gentlemen. I have to respond to that. And you know what's so funny? I am with, with many police officers. Yeah. I ask you to put that prop away. Well, it's not a prop. It, it, this is real. And he said I but, have a problem. I never worked with law enforcement. It is considered a prop, Mr. Walker. Yes. Excuse me, sir. Yes. You're very well aware of the rules. Y'all, the reason why I'm laughing is a whole different reason that was in front of you. I'm laughing because I literally had the same argument with a seven year old about a badge and him being the police. That does not make you the police, Herschel. Mm -hmm. um, this was all Herschel's doing, okay? Remember, it kind of just died down, the whole I used to be a police officer thing. But he kept it alive. He continued to post about it, he couldn't let it go. Uh, then he decided to bring a prop, which I get into that in a moment. It wasn't even the actual badge in question, which is another issue. Uh, following the debate, Walker would then post a video of himself with an officer as proof of the authenticity of the badge. Here it is. Hi, this is Herschel Walker. This is the badge I flashed at the debate, and this is my sheriff, Sheriff Rowland. Yes, if Herschel's badge is a prop, then I guess this badge I wear every day to protect the citizen, I guess it's a prop also. But these are real badges, and I gave this to my friend for all he's done for this country and this county. And let me tell you, I'm always, always stand behind our men and women in blue. So God bless. All right, let me go ahead and give you the truth of what just happened here. So yeah, the badge, okay, is he the police, sir? Is he a post-certified arrest powers having cop? No, that's what he said. He even said he worked with you all in law enforcement dynamics. So the sheriff that he's with is not the sheriff that he claimed issued the original badge. You see the sheriff he did that commercial with is from another county. The sheriff's office that he said made him a police is in a county called Cobb. COBB in Georgia. Cobb County released a statement a few weeks ago saying 
We have no record of any employment, Mr. Herschel Bonker, period. All right, um, there's more further background to Badge Gate. Walker told NBC News, Kristen Welker in an interview that dropped Monday morning, that he was given the badge by the sheriff of Cobb County, Georgia, a suburban Atlanta community, which has plenty of issues with law enforcement along racial lines. Walker also said he has similar badges from counties all over the state. Now, Herschel, here's my question to you. Do you believe, sir, that you are a police officer in multiple jurisdictions? Because if you think the badge made you a cop, you would have to assume that you are a police officer over multiple counties. Does that make sense to you, Herschel? Okay. The GOP nominee for US Senate, who's in a tight race with Senator Raphael Warnock in the Georgia Senate race, clarified that it was an honorary badge. Getting closer. Honorary badge and said law enforcement called him whenever they want me and I have the authority to do things for them to work with them all day. Uh, the, interv- the interviewer pointed out that the National Sheriff's Association said an honorary badge is for the trophy case. And posed a question to Walker why he flashed it during the debate. Walker then said that Cobb County Sheriff Police gave him the badge. Came out and did a press conference with me and said, Herschel has been with us for years, he'd been working with us. Further response from the police about the badge. Law enforcement surrogates for Walker said they had no problem with his display of the badge because he was expressing his support for their profession rather than pretending to be part of the police. A sheriff who backs Warnock, however, said in an interview that Walker's use of the badge as a prop was a disgrace, and I agree. The Walker campaign is now doing what? They're going to sell fake badges. Yes, they're gonna sell them now. Um, days after Walker whipped out his uh, make believe badge during a high stakes debate with Senator Raphael Warnock, the retired football stars campaign ordered 1,000 plastic replica badges that it plans to use for campaign gimmicks. You know. This had a very bad outcome in a story I covered not too long ago. Let's put up the pictures of these two individuals. You see Robert Bates, okay, the white male. He had one of these play play badges too. How did he get it? He got it because he gave a bunch of money to the sheriff, the same way Herschel Walker got his. But he went out and actually played police. Handing badges to people who are not actual police officers or trained has a tendency to produce a tragic result. Like in the case of Eric Harris, Harris was 44 years of age. In 2015, he was running away from the police in Tulsa, Oklahoma. (laughs) One of those cops was a 73 year old insurance executive named Robert Bates, who had been given the status of a reserved deputy. So he thought he was the real police. Uh, He was a rich white guy who donated a bunch of money to the sheriff's office. So he was handed a badge and allowed to play cops and robbers alongside real law enforcement, except not for pay. In addition to the badge, Bates was also handed a department issued taser and gun, which on the day he encountered Harris, he confused one for the other. At least that's his story, shooting Harris dead when he claimed he only meant to immobilize him with the taser. 
2017, Bates was sentenced to four years in prison for manslaughter, but he only did a year and four months. Um, considering a lot of factors, for example, Herschel Walker basically admitting he pulled out a gun and stuck it in his wife's face, okay? This is not the individual you want to have working in your law enforcement division. Uh, insane, being thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, there's two big layers to this. Like the first layer is, unfortunately, I don't think this is really gonna do anything to hurt his reputation with Republicans. Because there are a ton of Republicans that have like these ridiculous fantasies of, like they literally think they're Rambo. Like they personally think that they are John Rambo and that somehow magically the whole world is out to get them and like the government is out to get them. But also magically at the same time, they get to like be the own their own law and be like the police or whatever. But the other layer to this, right, it kind of stems back to like the United States' incredibly racist history. Because there's a long history in the United States of police officers deputizing random people in the community. And there's a long history of people, of police officers in the United States basically giving like police authority or at least a pass to like random individuals. And it all stems back to like sheriff's departments actively participating in lynch mobs across the country. Like that literally is like the historical origin. The reason why there's this ridiculous tradition of handing out badges to people that sheriffs happen to politically agree with in the moment. Like that is like the origin behind this. And so all of those layers on top of each other, really at the end of the day, it is just Herschel Hawker actively participating in this sort of like these white supremacist beliefs that a lot of Republicans have about themselves, like being able to be deputized. And these traditions that ultimately stem from the United States' history of white supremacy within law enforcement. And so like unfortunately, while we all recognize that this is not only ridiculous, but also has an element of dangerousness to it. I don't think the Republicans are really gonna respond to this in a healthier, normal way. You know, and I agree completely. I don't think Republicans are going to move the needle on this, but perhaps those who consider themselves to be independents or moderates, and maybe a few conservatives who have not fully drunk all the Kool Aid. Very sad situation in Florida. Black male arrested for voter fraud because Governor DeSatan created a new program to crack down. On voter fraud. Now, never before seen footage is here. Here it is. Apparently, I, I guess you have a warrant. For what? I'm not it's sure. For voter stuff, man. For voters. It's, it's okay. what it is. It, I think the agents with FDLE talked to you last week yeah, about sure. some voter fraud, voter stuff, when you weren't supposed to be voting, maybe. I didn't. They have reduced your bond quite a bit. It, it's two felony charges for voter fraud, but they've reduced it to $500 bonds. So it's $1,000 total. Oh my God, man, what so, the? Yes, sir. So unfortunately, right now, we're gonna have to take you to jail. I didn't do nothing to nobody, man. It's a voter fraud. What is voter fraud? Voting when you're not supposed to. Let's put up the picture of this citizen who was arrested by goons of the state. In never before seen footage obtained by the Tampa Bay Times and Miami Herald.
we are now offered a glimpse into this program created by Governor Ron DeSantis out of Florida. Handcuffed in the back seat was 40 year old Tony Patterson. He stewed over the situation, mentioning how his brother encouraged him to register to vote. Now, I want to remind you of something, the police, they explained up front. They have already already reduced your bond is down to $500 for each felony. When was the last time you heard of a $500 bond for a felony? They're telling you this is not a serious crime at all, okay? Uh, Patterson said, and I quote, I thought felons were able to vote. That's why I signed a petition for him. That's why that's what I remember. Why would you let me vote if I wasn't able to vote? Boom. Exactly. Because they have the technology to check it on the front end. DeSantis has decided to only allow the check on the back end. Why, young brother? Because they wanted to have the scene they just did. Not for you, but to intimidate black folk all across Florida from participating and voting. Now, in other places like Georgia, for example, if you have a felony conviction on your record, you can still vote. You don't have to even get it restored unless it was a crime of moral turpitude. If you have a felony outside of a moral turpitude classification, once you serve your sentence, once you pay your fees and you no longer have parole, you can actually vote again in many states. So it can get confusing. There's more. As reported by the Tampa Bay Times, body worn camera recorded by local police captured the confusion and outrage of Hillsborough County residents who found themselves in handcuffs for casting a ballot following investigations by Governor Ron DeSantis' new Office of Election Crimes and Security. There's more, August 18th, 18 arrests, all right? August 18th, you got 18 arrests conducted hours before Governor DeSantis called a news conference to top, top his crackdown on alleged voter fraud. They were carried out by state police, accompanied by local law enforcement. Of the 19 people arrested, 12 were registered Democrats, and at least 13, maybe more, were black. That's according to the investigation. Let's put up this other picture. 55 year old Ramona Oliver was about to leave for work when police walked up and told her they had a warrant for her arrest. She's just going to work, they got a warrant, she got to go to jail now. Let's go to the video. So if you can put your hands on your back, please. Oh my God. Do so not move. ultimately, ma'am, you have a warrant? Okay, the warrant, listen, hold on, listen. I know you're, yeah, you caught off guard, I understand, right? So you have a warrant, it's for voter fraud, okay? Hear me out, it's an ROR, you know what ROR is? Oh my God. You go in, you get booked, and then they're gonna release you from booking. So you have a warrant, and it's from FDLE, okay? Okay. All right, so I know you're caught off guard, but unfortunately that's how this stuff works, okay? <laughs> I'm like, voter fraud, I voted, but I ain't fraud, commit no fraud. Well, yeah, so th that's the thing, I, I don't know exactly what happened with it, but you, you do have a warrant, that's what it's for. Let me once again break down the silliness of it all. An ROR is known as a signature bond, which means the penalty is so light and the charge is so light. They're not going to require a bond and they already know it. So before you get to the jail, they have already determined this is some BS. You don't need to be in this court system. We're not worried about you coming back to court. 
We are allowing you to signature yourself out of the arrest. Once again, these are felonies that these individuals are being charged with. And even if they beat the felonies, those charges will stay on their record until additional action is taken. Let's put up a picture again. Ms. Oliver served 18 years in prison on a second degree murder charge and registered to vote February 14, 2020. She did a time. Months later, she completed another registration form to update her address. And by the way, she was told this is how it was done. After brief eligibility checks by the Department of State, which reports to DeSantis and is responsible for curating all of the ineligible voters according to their verbiage. She was given a vote ID card both times. Both times she got a vote ID card. Oliver was not removed from the rolls until March 30th of this year. So let me go ahead and make a different argument here. Now you're engaged in either contributory negligence by the state or if you're claiming that this was a crime, that means the state has become a co-conspirator in the criminal activity. That's what this means. There's more. Oliver and 19 others are facing up to five years in prison because of this ridiculous program created by DeSantis to do primarily what you just saw, scare people into not voting. All right, they are accused of violating a state law that doesn't allow people convicted of murder or felony sex offenses to automatically be able to vote after they complete their sentence. A 2018 state constitutional amendment that restored the right to vote to many felons excluded this group. However, the information did not permeate. They put no emphasis on the education of who could qualify, who would not, okay? But as the video further supports, the amendment and subsequent actions by state lawmakers caused mass confusion about who was eligible. And the state's voter registration forms offer no clarity at all. They only require a potential vote, a voter to swear under penalty of perjury that they are not a felon. Or if they are, that their rights have been restored. The forms do not clarify that those with murder convictions don't get automatic restoration of their rights. All right, we got another one. Let's go to 49 year old Nathan Hart. Uh, here's the video. No one ever really explained all that much to me. I told the guys when they came out here that I was at the, the driver's license place getting my new driver's license. Yeah. The guy there asked me, he says, hey, can you vote? He says, hey, are you ready to vote? I said, no, I'm convicted felon. I'm pretty sure I can. He goes, well, are you still on probation? I said, no. Uh, I got off probation like a month ago. He goes, well, then you can probably vote. Hey, just fill out the form. And if you can vote, and they'll let you give you a card. If you can't vote, then you won't. And I'm like, all right. He says, well, just stop the form. And if you know if they let you vote, then you can. If you don't, then you can't. And there's your defense. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, that I sounds like really a loophole to me. How sad is this? How sad is this? And it's just the tip of the iceberg. We don't have all the videos. We don't have all of the arrests. We don't even have all of the data, but we have some of it. Towards the end, an officer suggests Mr. Hart may have a loophole defense. The officer was correct in one way, okay? State law says that a voter has to willfully commit the crime. A hurdle that has forced some prosecutors not to charge ineligible voters. So what does this mean practically? You have to prove what's called mans rea, the criminal intent 
In other words, it can't be a mistake. It cannot be an effort of good faith. You cannot be operating under bad advice and still be a criminal in this regard. Only if you knew that you should not have been registering or you should not have been voting, you knew it and you decided to do it as a criminal conduct issue. That's not the case with any of these charges, all right? Uh, meanwhile, DeSantis only granting voting exemptions for Republican counties. Last Thursday, the governor of Florida, DeSantis, signed an executive order extending early voting days and allowing voters to send mail-in ballots from addresses not listed in their voting records. It also suspends some of the requirements for poll workers. The, this only goes into effect about uh, for about 1 million voters in Lee County, Charlotte, Sarasota. With these counties in particular, more than 450,000 of them are registered as Republicans. Voting rights groups had previously requested to Governor DeSantis extend the statewide voter registration deadline and to add more early voting days across the board. However, DeSantis said the decision to only accommodate three counties was based on the collective feedback of the supervisors of elections across the state and at the written request of the supervisors of elections in Charlotte, Lee and Sarasota. Just so happens this is a large concentration of Republican voters. Just a coincidence, right, Governor? All right, Ben, the insanity of Florida continues to wow me week by week. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this is deeply infuriating because what is obviously happening is this trap, right? This is a trap that was intentionally set for voters to stop people from voting because, and this is something that Florida has been doing for a very, very long state. And I want to extend this to just beyond Florida because a lot of people will look at red states and say, oh, you know, they keep voting for these terrible people, it's all their own fault. But think about it like this in Mississippi, Alabama, and Tennessee, about 8% of the entire voting age population is denied the right to vote due to prior felony voting laws. 8% that's almost that's almost 10%. That's almost one out of every 10 people in those states denied the right to vote due to prior felony voting laws. We know in the United States that our criminal justice system is racist and that police focus all their time and energy in racist ways. That this specifically was the Nixon administration like their officials came out and said that the whole purpose behind the war on drugs was to stop black and brown folks from voting across the country. So then you go back to Florida. In Florida in the 2000 election, they wrongfully said, they wrongfully said that somewhere around like, what was it, like 20,000 black voters were felons, even though they weren't, just to stop them from voting in the 2000 election, right? And this is something, so this is something that's been going on for a long time. And now the voters, of Florida actually voted to say, no, we should get rid of these felony voting laws. People should be allowed to vote even if they have a felony, if they've done their time, right? And then the state of Florida made the whole implementation of that vote that the people voted for intentionally confusing with the express yep. goal of preventing black voters from feeling comfortable registering to vote. They, this right here, and I think the timing of this is not a coincidence, right? The election is coming up soon. This is an intimidation tactic. This is a terror tactic to get people to be afraid 
to vote in Florida. And the unfortunate reality is Republicans are doing this across the country. And so realistically, at a certain point, the blame has to go on the Biden administration and his failure to fundamentally push real action on this front. The Democrats promised that they were gonna stop exactly this from happening. And now we're risking losing the Senate specifically because not because voters are going in a right wing direction, but because right wing elected officials are stopping people from voting. And we're just in a really terrible position right now. Well said, well said, and I concur. The Biden administration, they campaigned on two strong dynamics. One, criminal justice reform, police reform. Two, making sure voting rights in America remain protected. Now you have the opposite of that going down in states all across this country. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back. Okay, we got a lot of show left. Remember, we had an exclusive this week of a young lady who was physically accosted by the police. She did nothing illegal, she did nothing wrong. She was let go later during that day, charged with nothing. We got the video exclusive and we were able to interview her. Her life has been turned upside down. She no longer works for that employer. She is now trying to figure out how to mentally cope day to day. It was a traumatic experience for her. She can't even drive past that location anymore without severe anxiety. She has a GoFundMe. Okay, and she mentioned it during the interview. I want to make sure that for those who would like to help this young lady, here's the opportunity to do so. I remember she was assaulted by Fayetteville, Fayetteville Police in North Carolina. She was working on site as a property manager, which she is, or she was at that time. Now she has lost a job, has not been able to find work since. We featured her story right here. You can go to GoFundMe to the link right now to help this young lady in a trying time, all right? Love for you to make that happen. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're you're feel free. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. The girl with the bowl on her face. Believe me, this kid is going on this ride. Her me and you are going out in the parking lot. I'm telling you right now. Three rides this kid has been denied. Three rides this kid has been denied. This kid is going on this ride, bro. This kid is going on this ride. Listen, you can do it your way or you can do it my way, bro. This kid has been denied. The girl with the mole on her face. You'll see. She's not ready. She's not coming up. Yeah, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? I'm going to make your life miserable right now, bro. Listen, you're messing with the wrong guy, bro. I'm telling you right now. When you struggle to say miserable, that might be the sign you've had a little too much. There's more. See this kid, my eight-year-old daughter crying? You'll say, you'll get somebody up here. I'm gonna shut this bitch down, bro. No, do not shut down. I'm 
write it down. This kid, I am not going to listen to my eight-year-old cry again. We went to the ride at the bottom, and they she passed the thing. Otherwise, we would have not come out here. Otherwise, you go ahead. You go, bro. You go. Take your chances, bro. Take your chances with this guy. Yo, listen, it's your job. I get it. I'm shutting this bitch down. Oh, yeah? I went, I went, I went down to the bottom. Who cares? Really, bro? I went, listen, I went, 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 but once again, we see the extreme behavior of individuals already have Karenicity inside of them mixed with a little something, something, and it gives you this. We provide a mirror, reflection and correction. All right, let's put this picture up full mass. We have not been able to independently identify this guy, but I promise you he's still Karen in somewhere. Okay, all right, Ben, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, this is really amazing, right? Like, if your daughter is too short to go on the ride, like, I get it, right? She's gonna cry because she's a kid and she wants to go on the ride. But, like, you need to understand why don't they want your daughter to go on the ride? They don't want your daughter to go on the ride because if she's too short to go on the ride, then she might literally die. They are trying to save her life from negligence. That's the whole reason why there's that like height requirement. And like I get it, we've all been there. We've all yep. been little kids and we've wanted to go on the ride, but we can't because we're not big enough. But that's life. That is just like a normal life experience. And I get that you might not be uncomfortable telling your kid that like maybe you have to wait till next year. I'm sorry that you're not tall enough this year. But like what would you prefer? Would you prefer that your daughter cry because she can't go on the ride? Or that she falls through the bars because she's not big enough physically to be held in place by the security measures? I mean, seriously, they're trying to save your daughter's life. and. Like it's it's really not that complicated. Very well said. Hell of a story out of Miami. A Miami frat shut down. Why? Vile chance. Here it is. Yo, yo, Let's put up the crowd shot for full mass. I'm going to tell you exactly what you just saw. On October 1st, Sigma Phi Epsilon, Florida Gamma Chapter, held an off-campus adult swim party. When his members began chanting about basically um, necrophilia to the tune of Disney's popular pirates of the Caribbean song titled Yo Ho. Members were allegedly also drugging drinks with a white powder substance. What could that have been? It also made women vomit at the party. 
You see, that's a felony charge right there for those who did that to those drinks. The chapter at the University of Miami dates back to 1949 and was designed to encourage a safe, healthy and positive experience at the University of Miami. The video shows a crowd chanting a song about digging up a woman who's dead and having sex with her repeatedly, okay? The anonymous report sent to the national headquarters also includes a line about keeping the victim in a wooden box. It's all very disturbing, is it not? On the complaints of drugging drinks, Abby, a female party goer recounted, and I quote, me and my other friends had like white powder in our drinks. I hadn't seen that before. She first considered other possibilities that being drugged. Initially, Abby thought the white powder could have been foam from carbon dioxide cans that were sprayed at the party, but she wasn't certain. Later, after the party, Abby heard from other female partygoers that they suspected they were roofied or knew someone who thought they were. She concluded, and I quote, they had never felt that sick, but they didn't think they drank that much to get to the point where they were throwing up a lot. Another party goer who wished to be known as Mary in fear of retaliation from her sorority, okay? From her sorority, described a similar account. We got the info. She described one text which recounted a female attendee discovering white powder in her drink after turning away from her cup. According to Mary, several other sorority members shared through their group chat that they experienced something similar and warned their sorority sisters to be careful. Mary says she later heard about a female party goer vomiting uncontrollably and having difficulty staying awake after consuming only a few drinks. There was a report attempted and They said it was blown out of proportion. But let me say this before I go to the next part of the story. To all of those students, if you think you are a good student, a good person, your parents raised you right, and you don't like what you see, you don't like what happened. If you sit back and say nothing, if you allow this to go down under your watch at that campus. You are in charge of that campus. You are the community that makes that campus what it is. Not the teachers, not the not the professors, not the TAs, not even the president, you, the student body. If you do nothing with this type of massive injustice, you are just as guilty as the person who did it. Now I know other people will tell you different, I will tell you the truth. Your silence makes you a co-conspirator here. There's more. One former frat member tried to say the incident was blown out of proportion. I am upset. I am upset that the hurricane, as some tabloids ran with the unconfirmed comments about alleged drugs and roofies, which the school found to be untrue. The fraternity was not drugging people. I think if, God forbid, someone had been drugged or harmed, that is a totally different situation. And it probably would have come to light by now from the police or the hospital or the school. You think so? Well, that's not according to data that we have when it relates to violent assaults, um, violations of women on campus. They try to hide it. 
We have the records, we know what they do. According to Heather Matthew, chief communications officer for the fraternity, she said, and I quote, the Sigma Phi Epsilon's national board of directors unanimously decided to revoke the charter of the chapter at the University of Miami. The national headquarters received admissible information that their members did in fact violate policy and engage in actions that are not aligned with the values of this fraternity. You see, frats have a way of conducting their own investigations and getting to the bottom of a matter. Now, I would say this, for those who did investigate on this board, if you have information of a student being violated because of criminal conduct by one of your members, let's go ahead and do the right thing here. Accountability has to be applied. We expect the organization chapters to provide their members and campus community a safe and supportive environment. That's the cornerstone of a positive fraternity and university experience. So we take that expectation seriously and hold our chapters to that standard. At the time of the article's publication, the Dean of Student Affairs website still recognizes that chapter in good standing. Okay, so to the university, update your damn website. However, in a statement to the Miami Hurricane, Senior Vice President for Student Affairs, Patricia Whitley confirmed that the Florida Gamma chapter has officially closed. What can the victims do per university policy? All right, here's what they can do. Because UM has pledged to apply its sexual misconduct policy to any situation involving students, including off campus locations, victims can pursue action. Students can file a report through the Dean of Student Office, the website, or contact information is there. And it's one of the chapters, UM's It's on us chapter for resources, the reporting process is also confidential. So I encourage anyone, please make sure when you get the opportunity, you have the information, get the opportunity, go online, make the complaint happen. That complaint is logged as a paper trail. All right, once again, Ben, we're in a situation where obviously something happened. Everybody's not lying, all right, there's something here. The issue is the fact there's no exhaustive or aggressive investigation. It seems as if they were more aggressive about coming out and either dismissing the chapter or saying how this was not a confirmed incident. One or the other, not an investigation, however, that has been rigorous. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the unfortunate reality is we see stories like this all the time. And why do we see stories like this all the time? And I kind of want to tie it into broader narratives about colleges in general, because a lot of people will point to the income disparities that exist between people who've gone to college and people who haven't, especially with like big Ivy League universities like Yale, Stanford, whatever. But we need to understand that the big thing that rich students get out of a university comes from these frats. That fundamentally what they get more than anything else that helps them in life is rich friends. And so like this whole frat boy culture that exists within the United States quite literally is like 
a staple of institutional power. And it is the way that a lot of people who are in positions of power in the United States sort of get their mindset for how to operate. It is quite literally like the, the breeding ground for the good old boy system. And so fundamentally, what these students are experiencing, this systemic violence, right? This even those things like those chants are about normalizing sexual assault. They're about creating an environment where things like that could be treated as a joke. Right, things like that can be treated as a joke. And they all play cover for each other. And even the bigger institutions around them see the institutional relationship that, frat, that frats have with the rest of society after people's life in their frats. And they wanna actively participate and cover for each other. And so fundamentally, I think there's a much larger conversation needs to be had about whether or not fraternities in general are serving any type of benefit to society. All right, well said, well said. Great way to put it. We got more on the other side. Indisputable. Stick and stay. Exclusive. Exclusive to Indisputable. No other news agency has this video nor this story. College student, right? Was targeted by the police according to the allegation. Here's the video, and I will then give you the background. Here it is. Should have come get me. I haven't did anything wrong. You going to jail because you're not listening. And I'm going to tell you what you're going to jail for. You're interfering in police business and you're following, you failed to follow directions. So you're finna go to jail. For and what? I haven't did anything wrong. I haven't did anything wrong, fool. They can come check the cameras and everything. I haven't did anything wrong. You ain't going on by your business. I'm trying. I'm just waiting for my sister to come. I'm waiting for my sister to come pick me up. I'm just waiting for my sister to come pick me up right now. Go. I'm waiting for my sister to come pick me up. Why are you approaching me? Now, let me give you the background to this exclusive story. Put up the picture of the young man who was the target in that ordeal. A Delta State University student was charged with resisting arrest, even though he was not under arrest. He was charged with resisting arrest and disorderly conduct. Did you see disorderly conduct? Did you see an underlying crime here? The Mississippi student says he was targeted for complaining about a hate crime to the campus police. That's why they don't like him, that's why they targeted him, that's why they treated him the way they did. His name is JT Hardiman. He is the student that was charged despite leaving as commanded. He was walking away as he was told. Police decided to continue to follow him. JT was followed and chased on foot. He hid in a bush and later turned himself in. The 19 year old pleaded not guilty, okay? Um, to resisting arrest and disorderly conduct. Yesterday at the county court in Cleveland, Mississippi. Students think Jay was targeted. This is, these are his peers. They said, and I quote, I think they did target JT because they didn't like him speaking up to the police. JT is very outspoken and the police did not like that. Some people with power think they are over you. Let's put up the police report. 
The police report shows that Hardiman and three other black students were accosted by two white young men in a pickup truck on September 22nd. They shouted racist and homophobic slurs at JT. He then decided to report this to the campus police. By October 10th, Delta State Police officers knew JT by first name. He was talking with friends in a vehicle parked outside the campus police station when he was told to leave. The student continued and I quote, they said he was interfering with police business. But there was no police business because they were already letting us go when JT rolled up, okay? Now I wanna also bring up the interim president of the institution. We have president of Delta State, E.E. Caston, right? Buck stops with you, sir, you're the person currently in charge. Don't know if you'll be there long. Don't even know if you want to, but while you are there, this is now your responsibility. Let's go to the chief of police for Delta State University. His name is Jeffrey Johns. Jeffrey, Mr. Chief, what you saw by your officers, was it warranted? Did it violate policy or does it align with the values of your police department at that institution? Which does it do? Now, we're going to continue to follow the developments of the story. And I wanna say this to JT, JT keep standing up, I'm proud of you. And if you need some help, if you need an attorney, please reach out to me right here. I will make sure you have one in your state, guaranteed. Do not allow them to silence your voice. This is exactly the level of transparency we need. We need individuals like you to always feel empowered to speak up and speak out. And I will support you every day of the week. Ben, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, the unfortunate reality is this is all too common. Like, this should be a story that news outlets across the country cover with regularity because police officers with regularity will target people who are active in the community that are calling out police for misbehavior. I mean, in some instances, police officers have been so callous as to target the families of people that they have killed. Okay, and so that's something to really understand. It is to the point where there are even a lot of city council members across the country who are terrified of their own police departments. And they are terrified of speaking out against their own police departments because they don't want their police departments harassing them or their campaign staff. And so this is just this massive problem. But unfortunately, because there are so many news outlets that by default will accept everything police officers say in a press release, they refuse to accept this story. They refuse to accept stories like like this, that maybe perhaps there are a lot of police officers that have too much free time on their hands. That instead of solving murders, they're harassing random people that are criticizing them for, you know, parking in like disabled parking spots, for parking on the sidewalks, for, you know, brutally harassing people for no reason. All of the litany of things that police officers are engaged in that is misconduct and misbehavior. Whenever anybody calls them out, very often they find themselves targeted by these very same police actions and injustices. And the unfortunate reality is because too many people by default accept everything the police officers have to say, these stories just fundamentally don't get covered anywhere else. I agree wholeheartedly and for the record, we did reach out to the police department. We requested comment, they have declined to do so as of now. And, and we have a lot of cops that contact this show off record. They want to remain anonymous, why? 
because they are afraid of their own colleagues. So they are afraid of the police and they are the police themselves. How do you think citizens feel when it comes to police interaction? All right, here it is once again. The community was right and the police were wrong. They kept saying there was a serial killer. There was somebody harassing, assaulting and killing black women. Law enforcement said, no, 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 you have it wrong. There's no issue of a serial killer here killing black women. These are unrelated criminal actions. Put up the picture of the man who has now been arrested and charged weeks after the Kansas City Police Department dismissed initial reports of a potential serial killer as, and I quote, completely unfounded. That's what they said. They said it's completely unfounded that these crimes are happening because of a serial killer. A 22 year old black woman escaped from said potential killer. 39 year old Timothy Hazlitt was charged with first degree rape, first degree kidnapping and second degree assault on October 7th. The now ongoing investigation into the potential series of kidnapping and assaults by Haslett is expected to take days, possibly weeks to complete. According to the Kansas City Defender, the bombshell multi-county investigation began Friday, October 7th. When 22 year old, a 22 year old black woman escaped bondage after being kidnapped, sexual assaulted, held captive in the basement of Haslett. The woman was discovered around 8 a.m. that Friday when reports of a woman banging on the doors and crying for help reportedly reached the police. The young woman will only be identified by her initials, TJ. According to the Clay County prosecutor, probable cause statement, TJ reported that, and I quote, Timothy had kept her in a small room in the basement that he built, kept her restrained in handcuffs on her wrist and ankles. In addition, Haslett whipped her while she was restrained. There were injuries on her back that were consistent with this description. Court documents further say she was able to get free when he left to take his child to school. There's more. The official court documents also read, upon the police officer's arrival at the residence, they found TJ, she was wearing latex lingerie and had a metal collar around her neck with a padlock and duct tape around her neck. TJ advised that a man by the name of Timothy picked her up on prospect in Kansas City at the beginning of September 2022. Now remember, remember they're saying mm, no issue here. These crimes are not connected. You don't have an issue with a serial killer. No, 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 unfounded. Unfounded, which allowed him to not have the right profile, thus not the right emphasis in the investigation. And he continued to assault that community of black women in particular. Let's go to the local resident, her name is Sierra, okay? Local resident Sierra Tharps, grandmother provided the young woman food and a blanket after bringing her inside of the home. Tharp told the citizen, quote, and I quote, she made the comment about her friends that they didn't make it and that he had killed them. 
That's what she said. I'm really hoping they find evidence about her friends. If anything, she can have closure about her friends. I just hope they can find everything they need to. Let me bring up the black male. In mid to late September, see this brother, that's Bishop Tony Caldwell, okay? Bishop Caldwell is a local Kansas City community leader. That bishop that you're looking at made reports of numerous murdered and missing black women and specifically identified that they were being taken from an area on Prospect Avenue in Kansas City. He's the man that actually cracked the case and the police would not listen to him. You know why he cracked the case? You know why he knew it was happening? You know why the bishop had that information? Because he works in the community, he listens to the community and he believes the community that he serves. That's all it took. And he put the dots together. The police did not because they did not believe the community. They did not listen to the community and they don't work with the community. The bishop does. In the time the police dismissed these claims, the Kansas City Police Department made a statement addressing the community testimonies and called them, and I quote, completely unfounded rumors. That's what they called the bishop and his sentiment about black women being taken away in that community. Unfounded rumors, dismissing the concerns. The local news outlets followed, followed suit in essence, silencing any ongoing community voices which maintain concern of the missing black women. And let me say this, cuz I researched and I saw this to the local news journalists who decided to adopt without rebuttal, without question, without opposite commentary. What the police told you to say, shame on you, shame on you. At least have the other side of the story, the damn reporting. Because of that, this man was allowed to continue without even being a target of the investigation because no one listened after you all in local media said there's nothing to see here. You bear some responsibility too. In response to the new development, the department issued a statement defending their dismissal. They said, and I quote, we base our investigations on police incident reports of criminal activity. We do still maintain that there is no indication that what you guys reported was accurate. And there was no indication that there was anything that supported that claim. They're still, still trying to defend themselves. The statement further quoted, we share what information we can publicly. Many times from the scene of incidents of violent crimes, when there's a report or an investigation underway, there had and has not been anything that corresponded to our reports on social media and the web. Which is why we refuted that report and said, that the claims were unfounded. Who's the interim chief? Put him up, okay? The interim chief is Joseph Mabin, right? Joseph, you got a job to do, sir. You are already horribly failing at it by allowing this kind of statement to even be issued. Now, I know you're not the person they want there, I know that. But you're the person they got. If you are a leader, I don't care if you are a leader just for 20 hours in that department, act like one. Okay, then systemic racism, prejudice, 
It, it leads to what? It's a ripple effect that adversely impacts everybody in the community regardless of skin tone. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the reality is that's really important. A lot of people will point to this and say, this is the police not doing their job, and they're right. But it goes a layer deeper than this, because who do serial killers target? Mm, right. Serial killers target the same people that police departments target. Serial killers specifically and intentionally go after the people that they know the institutions like the police will categorically dismiss and deny. That people will hear stories from members of the community and that these police departments, these media outlets will by definition not trust them. That is who these serial killers target. It is the systemic violence from the police that creates and facilitates the environment that these serial killers thrive in. That fundamentally, I mean, let's be real, that community, those people would literally have been safer had there been no police and the community responded by themselves. Now to be clear, vigilantism is a terrible, terrible, terrible solution and should not be the system. But the fact that this, the fact that this guy got away with what he was doing for so long, was not just because the police weren't doing their job. It's because the police were providing active cover for him. And one of the most callous, like harsh reasons behind this is because, look, arresting random innocent people for traffic violations is easy. Investigating murders is hard. And we have a when you have a bloated police department with a ton of people running around, they're gonna choose to do the easy thing and they're gonna avoid doing the hard thing. Even if that means sitting back and watching as people die and people in the community are begging for your assistance. Fundamentally, our system is just completely, completely broken. Well said, well said, we got more. On the other side is indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we have a lot of show left. Let me read a couple of these amazing comments, don't have time to read them all. Um, Paul, hallelujah, when Dr. Richard gets his JD, he'll be a triple doctor, that's technically correct. A person incarcerated gets his neck broken by the corrections officers. And then they let him starve to death inside of the facility. Let's go to the video. Sergeant Meadows was attempting to counsel with him about his attitude getting up to go to work for food service this morning, at which time he struck Sergeant Meadows on the left-hand side of the face. Uh, I assisted Sergeant Meadows in placing an inmate on the ground right here. At this time, the inmate's refusing to walk to go to medical for his pre Post use of force physical and pre confinement. We've got a wheelchair on the way. Dr. Scott, you may need your assistance, sir. Three thirty three a.m. Yep. Right. You can move this blood pressure all the time. 
He did not refuse to walk, couldn't, his neck was broken. They didn't believe his neck was broken, according to them. I don't think they cared because they later decided to starve him to death. Put up his picture. A Florida inmate starved to death following having his neck broken by correctional police. His name was Craig Ridley. He laid on the floor of his cell pleading for help as officers dropped trays of food he could not reach. They knew he could not reach the food. They put it in front of him, knowing it was out of his reach. Blatantly disregarding the untouched food trays and the fact that Ridley would fall to the floor when he was placed on the toilet. Medical staff only called for his transport to a hospital five days after he was paralyzed. Efforts to stabilize him after he was starved and had his neck broken failed. He died because of his injuries. This took place October 12th, 2017. The reason we now have more information is because of a federal lawsuit that was filed. What led up to this situation? The morning of September 8th, 2017, correctional, correctional officers got into a struggle with Mr. Ridley, tackling him to the ground face first. According to the video footage, he was brought a wheelchair after telling the officer, officers he could not walk. He was taken to solitary confinement, not a medical facility, nor to medical itself. He was taken to confinement and officers propped him up on the sales toilet. He fell over, breaking his nose at that point. He was already in extreme pain. Mr. Ridley's cause of death was determined to be a homicide caused by blunt impact to the head and neck. No criminal charges were ever filed against the officers or medical staff who treated Mr. Ridley. The Herald surfaced the shocking details of Mr. Ridley's family's year long, years long fight to uncover the circumstances around their loved one's death. The report also comes a year after Mr. Ridley's daughter filed a civil lawsuit, which created more interest in this case against Florida's Department of Corrections and correction officers and the medical staff involved. Let me talk about deaths in Florida prisons. According to the Miami Herald, 450 incarcerated individuals die in Florida every year. As expected, prison guards and correctional officers often walk free from the traumas they impose on inmates, leaving them injured or dead. Ridley's daughter, Jatun Moss, hopes to change that with a federal lawsuit against the corrections officers, medical staff, and secretary of the Department of Corrections. And we stand with you, we stand with the family for justice to be served. There's a protocol that they violated. There's also a standard of care that they violated. And naturally, there are decent laws that are on the books 
to take care of people when you have authority over them, like being a police officer or a correction staff. You have an obligation statutorily to do the right thing in situations like that. All right, being thoughts here. Yeah, it's just really, really heartbreaking. It goes back to the root of our prison system, which is built around the idea that, like, it's literally built around the assumption that once you're incarcerated, you don't matter as a human being. And, like, that's where it is. And so, fundamentally, look, I'm sorry, but, like, if you want to be a good, morally decent person, solidarity with people who are incarcerated is a necessity. Empathizing with them, viewing them fundamentally as human beings. Like, I don't care if somebody has murdered like a hundred person, hundred people. Once they're incarcerated, once they are under the custody of the state, we should make sure that they are not only living like, you know, surviving, but living comfortable lives where we are creating the material conditions around them that they can hopefully become a better person. That is the entry level bare minimum standard for human decency for people who are incarcerated if we have a carceral system of justice at all. And like fundamentally, not only are we failing to do that in our society, but the reality is our prison systems are effectively torture factories where people, these corrections officers are allowed to get away with a litany of crimes. I mean, like constantly, like you can basically assume that if somebody is incarcerated, that they are going to be the victim of arbitrary violence from corrections officers. If somebody is a corrections officer, the unfortunate reality is you can assume that if they're not actively participating in the sexual assault, the physical assault, the mistreatment of incarcerated people, that they are at very least witnessing other people doing it and not saying anything. Agreed. All right. A canine dog, okay, attacks a homeless man who's inside of a church because the dog was trained by the police to attack human beings, and the police wanted this to happen. Let's put up his picture. He's a he's blind. He's having a tough time in life. His name is Kyle. A Memphis man who is legally blind was attacked in the kitchen where he lived by a dog from the Memphis Police K9 unit. Kyle Maxwell on Wednesday, January 24th, 2021 at the First Congregational Church in Cooper Young, Tennessee. Six Memphis police officers allowed a patrol dog to viciously attack him. He fell target to the attack after police were dispatched to the scene following a 911 call from church staff who reported a break in at the premises by two men. Staff had notified the officers about a man living in an apartment above the main church building. Maxwell lived in a separate building north side of the premise, okay? They said, listen, there is somebody here you need to look out for, right? The officers entered the location, the hostel unannounced. Maxwell was unaware of what was going on, had no idea. He said he didn't hear the officers enter the location. I was oblivious to everything that was happening, Maxwell said, reported WREG. I'm sure I was listening to a podcast. He was in the kitchen area when the dog attacked him. Video also shows a police officer acknowledging the mistake. They said, and I quote, it looks really bad on us. 
We didn't intend to sick a dog on some guy making an effing snack, the officer said on his body camera. During the investigation, officers blamed the incident on the lack of clear information. All they were told was no one was supposed to be inside the building except for one person on the third floor. Maxwell's attorney countered the claim saying, and I quote, there was no reasonable basis for them to be in this part of the building in the posture they apparently were. Officers weren't able to make any arrest or spot any suspects in the building that night. In the lawsuit, along with Memphis City Maxwell, Memphis City, Maxwell also sued police officers for violating his civil rights. He's seeking 250,000 in damages. All right, um, I have always maintained we have to eliminate animals being used in policing. It's just a bad idea, okay? Here's the other dynamic, obviously when a police officer enters into a building, there's a level of investigative prowess that is required. Split second decisions, understanding that someone just told you there's a person who may be in the building. It may be on this side, but they are around here. You use that in your determination. What they did to someone who was absolutely not a threat, you gotta remember this. You're only supposed to use that canine when the individual is such a threat, you are unable to combat it without physical danger to yourself. The man was no threat, he was just there making a snack. So the cops have already admitted they violated protocol. The man was making a snack and you put a dog on him. That's contrary to the rules of how you utilize and engage your canine. Once again, Policy is eaten alive by the culture every day. That was their culture. Ben, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, this is just really, really unfortunate because, like, I mean, think about it. Like, if you're a police officer, you're doing an investigation, you hear there's a burglary, right? Somebody who is committing a burglary isn't out to commit a murder, right? They're out to steal things, right? And stealing is wrong. We all acknowledge this. But just because somebody's stealing things doesn't mean that they want to like murder somebody. So if you're a police officer going into a building where somebody's committing a burglary, right? You can probably afford to be slow with it and say like, "Hey, I'm the police. I'm here. Are you a burglar burglaring things?" right? Like that's it, right? You shouldn't have to come in guns blazing. Oh my goodness, you know, like sicking dogs on people. That's ridiculous. They say, oh, we weren't given enough information. We weren't given enough details. I don't believe them and I don't care. Your job is to figure out the information. Your That's job right. is to figure out what is going on and to respond to the situation that actually exists in the world. It's yeah. not to invent a fantasy in your head and then respond to that fantasy because that's what puts people in danger. And unfortunately, that is what police officers think their job is. This is the result of high power, low accountability. This is your result. Very sad story, eight year old child was with a white family, an African American child with a white family and got burned all over his body. Questions are still looming. Let me show you the picture of the young man, the media and family, they have provided the information. An Arkansas family is demanding answers and accountability after an eight year old child was severely burned. Jason Charles 
was at a friend's house in Warren, Arkansas in August preparing to go to Magic Springs the next day. However, he left home with 80% of his body burned according to his family. This kid and his friend were roasting hot dogs when the fire erupted. No one at the friend's home called or reported the incident. Are you hearing me? No one called or reported the incident. His family believes Jason's race played a role in the lack of urgency in his treatment and attention to his care. Let's go ahead and put up the picture of some of his burns. This eight year old kid was in the intensive care unit at Arkansas Children's Hospital recovering from burns across the back of his body. The child had to be resuscitated twice. He is breathing through a tube connected to a ventilator. He has suffered brain damage, kidney failure, has undergone several surgeries. Doctors have had to remove five inches of his small intestine. And he's had a life threatening infection called sepsis. Let me give you a little more background to this. His mother, Lakeisha Bellin, said her son called and hung up. His father called back and he was screaming. His parents rushed to the friend's home to find the child covered in Vaseline and plastic wrap. Nobody called 911, nobody called. The third grader is now in the Arkansas Children's Hospital Intensive Care Unit continuing to recover. The child's father, Justin Charles, said they do not believe these injuries resulted from an accident. He wants his son to be made whole to fully recover, but he also wants justice for his child. Here's the thing, there are other moving pieces to this story. We're gonna continue to follow this story. There's something here. You have a child who's literally suffering from significant burns that he could die from. And the family, they decide not to call the police, not to call the ambulance, not to call you. But your child calls you and hangs up. Do you think he voluntarily hung up? Do you think somebody hung the phone up for him? Please keep investigating this. And sir, Justin, please, as a father, I'm with you, brother. I'm a father, man. I can't imagine what you're feeling right now, but you're doing the right thing. Keep the pressure high, all right? Ben, thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, like ultimately, they can say that the burns themselves were an accident, but you know what's not an accident? Not calling 911, not That's calling right. the parents, not doing something. Vaseline and plastic wrap, are you kidding me? Like, oh my goodness. Some of those infections probably were made worse by that, but. Uh, like ultimately, this needs like real, real investigations to figure out what exactly was going on. Well said, and um, we're going to continue to follow this. Obviously, it is a developing um, story, uh, and we are hopeful and prayerful that the young eight-year-old hero will thrive. Always a pleasure having you on the program. Ben, tell people how they can follow you. Check out your great work. Yeah, you can check out my content, Galaxy Brain, Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern, or yeah, 5 p.m. Eastern on the TYT's Twitch channel. You can catch me on Rebel Headquarters, and then obviously at Benjamin Carollo on Twitter. All right, beautiful. Remember, Unbossed is next with Nina Turner. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other. 
Take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.